Sean Harwell, this is a never heard of a podcast. This is a show where we talk about all those movies that slip through all those cracks, mostly mine, but more importantly, my co-host, Craig Moorhead. Say hello. Uh, how's your crack today, Craig? A mile wide and a and a, a thousand years long, <laughs> Sean. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's why so many movies slip through. Yeah, well, that makes a ton of sense now. Uh, right. How are you doing other, other than that? Pretty good otherwise. Pretty good otherwise, yeah. Uh, how are you doing, Sean? I can't complain. Um, I can't. Co- you know what? I can complain, okay. Craig. I got a vertigo, like a really bad bout of vertigo on Ooh. Sunday, and it's totally allergy-related. Really? Yep, inner ear stuff, folks. You got to gotta keep on top of those uh, allergy meds and everything. Woke up Sunday morning, tried to sit up, and the room's spinning. Yeah. Spent half the day in bed just uh, feeling awful and uh, yeah. didn't completely go away until about yesterday i'd like to not thank all of the pollen in the world <laughs> yeah i gotta say this year more than any other maybe it's because my friend my, my pool of friends is older that's one it might have something to do with that but probably not but i feel like everybody including myself has felt pollen this year in ways I am not familiar with, like just rotten, feeling pretty bad. I haven't had the vertigo. Well, I have had vertigo. I'm not talking about the movie. And maybe it will. Oh, oh, well then no. Okay. No, I I, I have. And and I didn't even know what it was. Like I I got up and just like walking to my closet one morning. And yeah, I was just like, well, I cannot walk a straight line. Mm -hmm. And I've I've known some folks who've had it a good bit worse. And like they go to their doctor and their doctor's like, well, yeah, you're 40. It's like, oh, great. (laughs) My doctor did not say that, thankfully. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I'm glad your vertigo's. I hope it's over by now. Yeah, much better. I mean, the, the you know the most disappointing thing is really it's just like, and I'm not a scientist, but mm. I feel pretty safe in saying there's no environmental benefit to pollen, right? I mean, we don't even need it. No. Right. No, I can't imagine what it would do. So we could just get rid of it. You know? Yeah. Just vacuum it up. Yep, that and ticks. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> we'll work on that in the future. Uh, in the meantime, would you like to tell people where they can find uh, more about our podcast online? I would. You can find us at neverheardpodcast.com, where you can find every episode we've ever done. You can find posts about some of the episodes we've done. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, in iTunes, uh, Spotify, Stitcher. If you could leave, uh, you know, I don't know, some reviews there, sure helps people find us if you're so inclined. Uh, that's right. Yeah. It would be nice if they were. Um, and we're always open to suggestions. Oh, so man. come Facebook, send us an email, yeah. and uh, let us know. We're going to get through the month of May here and then rock and roll on into summertime. Oh, yeah. And, uh, no clue what we're going to do then. So, no. yeah, we could use some suggestions. It would be nice. But, uh, Craig. Sure. I feel like we got a lot to talk about with this movie tonight. We're talking Bugsy Malone from 1976. Hopefully the people listen to the tee up. But before we get to it, you need to tell me what else you've been watching. Man, I sure do, Sean. And I'm going to do exactly that. So we haven't, we didn't talk about it. Okay, here we go. Since April 8th, which I guess is the last time we talked about movies. Stop me if we've already talked about this. Okay. I watched Walt, the man behind the myth. And that would be Walt Disney. It's a documentary. Uh, it's, I believe it's on Netflix. It's um, It feels very much 
like the like the family approved of it. Okay, because I was gonna say like he's uh, my first instinct was he's not a he's not a good guy, right? Like. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing, like, like going into it, you can tell like, the, like it's, it's narrated by Dick Van Dyke. So it's not like some, it's not a hit piece. Yeah, definitely not a hit piece. I mean, it's, it, it takes a very rosy view of Walt and I found myself trying trying to read between the lines. Like when they talk about, oh, he was a stern taskmaster. I'm like, oh, he just screamed at people. Like he just lost his <laughs> mind, didn't he? But yeah. you, know, you couldn't tell. I, I guess there's at least one story where, uh. And I wish I remember the specifics, but uh, the part that stood out to me was that his at some point along the early on when he had writers under his employ, I believe the writers or or just the creators, the animators and the writers went on strike. We like to do that a lot. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, you guys should get paid for striking. (laughs) Sure, I'd be a lot richer. Yeah, <laughs> no, but uh, but he struck with them. Uh, yeah. They weren't they weren't striking against him. They were striking against studio things, and he and he he went on strike with them. And and even then, I mean, this was probably I don't know. I want to say the early fifties. Uh, he was already a pretty big deal. I, I kind of didn't realize exactly what his full story was, and it was kind of interesting, even just seeing like how he really started in animation and how he was a really good artist himself. And just how things kind of really snowballed. I mean, that guy thought very, very big. Unfortunately, he died at 65, which hmm. seems far too young. But it uh, does, yeah. I didn't realize that. But man, yeah, he was a uh, he, he was a powerhouse. But uh, so that was Walt, the man behind the myth. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that I, I, it is nice to hear that he went on strike with the writers. Yeah. However, animation to this date is largely not covered by yes. the guild. There's a really interesting interview with the writer of The Lion King and Beauty and the Beast, and uh, how little. Oh yeah. She got in royalties uh, on that and from the subsequent live action versions. But that's for sure. a story for another day. It is. We'll have a, f- a special episode on the business. We will not. I'd rather not do but that. We, yeah, no, we ahead. probably won't. Um, so so we actually watched that uh, documentary with my family. I, I did. Nice. And then so right after that, we watched Disney's uh, Wrinkle in Time. Lay it on me. I mean, it is not... A good story. It's not a well-told story. Visuals are engaging, but the story is—it's not. It's—it's really not. It's interesting. It's at least the way it felt to me was that you have this character, this girl who's a character, and maybe—I mean, I I had my own hopes going into it Mm -hmm. because you know clearly she's she's the child of of two very very smart scientists. And I thought, oh, this is going to be great. You know, she's going to go and find her dad who's been missing for four years. She's going to use science. It's going to be amazing. And really what happens is she's in her backyard one day and three weird ladies show up, one of them being Oprah. You're saying that hasn't happened to you. I mean, it hasn't happened recently. That's what I thought. No, but then, I don't know. Nothing felt like it was in her hands. It felt like rules were being made up throughout the entire movie. I could never really catch up with it. And I just didn't care about it by the end. It was... It was really a shame. I don't know. It seemed like a lot of ideas and just not a lot of, uh, I don't know. I, I never knew what our main character was trying to do in any given scene. I just felt like she was trying to keep up with <laughs> That's it. a problem, yes. It's really not. Yeah, it was really, yeah. it didn't feel good. So, uh, but then we watched the movie Axel. Have you heard about Axel? Uh, the only Axel I know is, is Foley and Rose. Okay. So no. Well, here's the deal. Last year, a movie came out, Sean, called Axel, A-X-L. I'm sure that's an acronym for something, but I cannot be troubled to remember or try to even figure out what it meant. But basically, the idea sure. is... Atlanta's Alaphone League? Oh, you wish. Oh, damn. Uh, the United States government has created a mega weapon that is 
also a robot dog. <laughs> now, see, here's yeah. the thing. Uh-huh. When you say they've created a mega web, I'm like, yes, called the nuclear bomb. Sure. We don't need robot dogs, right? We don't. Well, but tell me why they need one for this movie. I, I don't know why they need one. Um, okay. That is never explained. And it's a, that's a part of what makes the movie kind of fun. I also don't think this is a good movie, but Shocking. yeah, the, the, the performances are good. Like the cast is kind of engaging. It feels, is this animated or no? no, it's, it's, it's a live action movie. And what it feels like is it feels like, it feels like an eighties movie in a lot of ways where it's like, let's just throw some whiz bang fake technology at everybody and we'll just yeah. build an adventure around it. And that's kind of what they did. None of it really links up, but my favorite part that doesn't make sense is that that anyone would make this tens of millions of dollars worth of robot dog that acts exactly like a dog. For instance, <laughs> if and but it doesn't look anything like a dog. Like it's yeah, it's a gigantic you can get one of those robot. Hundred bucks at a pound. Yeah. Right. It's the size of a horse, but but like a dog. Like, you know, it's it doesn't know if it likes you at first and then you kind of make friends with it somehow. But then if it encounters anyone else, like you have to try to explain to it, no, no, that's it's a good this is a good person and the dog has to think about it. And I'm like, no, this is a mega weapon. Like you yeah. you wouldn't make a gun that would decide for itself if someone was good or not. Like <laughs> I don't that would know. Be very bad. The whole yeah. thing was uh very goofy and I have no idea how it ended because I fell asleep. <laughs> But uh, but I, I highly recommend it. And then um, okay, yeah. And uh, and the last movie I watched was Vox Lux, which I was hoping for a lot more from it. But at the same time, I got I got some good stuff out of it. But it's kind of weird. It feels like the the longer it goes along, the the smaller of a movie it feels. And then like the last act is this whole performance. And man, like the the performance, I never bought the performance as like an actual concert. Interesting. Yeah, it kind of came and went without much fanfare, I feel like. And yet, for such a striking kind of uh, imagery from the trailer and poster and just having Natalie Portman. Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. Like, the trailer really, really sold me on it. And, like, then I read about what it was about. It seemed like, that's interesting. That could be interesting. But I I can't say it is. I mean, Natalie Portman, of course, comes out without a scratch. Sure. She she gives it her all. But really, the worst part, this kind of ties in, I feel like, with the movie we're going to talk about today. Like, the performance seems weirdly low energy for yes. for a huge stadium thing but anyway but those are my movies sean what about you mine's pretty pretty simple here I, i'm up to speed on game of thrones you know watching that a little bit and uh, we won't get into that too much yeah i can't hockey fans so the playoffs are going on i've been watching that and mm-hmm. carolina hurricanes are being surprising so that's been fun uh only movie touch of evil i watched uh yeah the orson welles 1958 flick i've seen it before a long time ago, man, this is a good-looking movie. Yeah. It is uh, grimy, and Wells plays into the into the fact that he's more than just a little bit overweight. Sure. Uh, that's written into the character, and it works well. It is a shame, a damn shame, I'm going to say, Whoa. that Charlton Heston plays a, a Hispanic gentleman because <laughs> there are actual Hispanics in this movie. Sure. Uh, uh, you know, um, does he blend well? You know, it's not that bad, but yeah. they definitely tinted his skin color um, a yeah. little bit with makeup, if I'm not mistaken. And you just wonder why. And, you know, at the end of the day, you just wonder why. Yeah. But yeah, a really cool border story, dark, grimy, holds up remarkably well. The opening shot is a thing of beauty. Yeah. And just amazing. Just good to go back and watch that and see what what was happening nice. decades ago, you know? Yeah. That's a pretty good uh, thing to watch if you're only going to watch one thing, you know? Yeah, hopefully I'll have some more next time. We'll see. Okay. 
see that you do. I don't know. I don't know what's been happening, but I haven't been watching movies. It's it's too bad. Yeah. But I did watch Bugsy Malone, and I think we should talk Let's about it, Greg. Let's do it. Hello. I'd like to tell you about a new movie. It's a gangster musical called Bugsy Malone, and it's kind of unusual because all the parts are played by kids around my age. Now, hold on a minute. I can see a few of you out there choking on your popcorn at the thought of 200 kids in ringlets across the screen. Look, I'm not too fond of kids myself. But this ain't no ordinary kid story. Believe me, there ain't never been a movie like it. Take a look. Bugsy Malone, 1976, written and directed by Alan Parker. You know that from the tee-up. We got Trump supporter Scott Bayo, <laughs> Florence Garland, Jodie Foster, John Cassisi. I want to highlight uh, Albin Humpty Jenkins as Fizzy. And Michael Jackson is Razzmatazz, yeah. not the Michael Jackson. We talked about that. Nope. Also, we're going we're gonna to talk about Babyface and Dexter Fletcher, who, if I'm not mistaken, Craig, you said looked familiar. Yes, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, he was the kid at the end with the bat? He was, yeah. but more importantly, he's the guy that completed Bohemian Rhapsody after Brian Singer got That's the That's why, the name! Mm-hmm. Oh. He's directed a couple movies. He did Eddie the Eagle, and he's doing the upcoming uh, Elton John movie, Rocket Man. So that's coming out soon. Wow. Yeah, lots of uh, uh, interesting credits as an actor. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about him in a minute. Sure. Uh, this is the movie, if you don't know already, it is a G-rated gangster musical extravaganza starring nothing, and I mean nothing, but child actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Craig, you knew a little about this movie, I think, going into it, or at least it was on your radar somewhat. You've seen it. Mm-hmm. You've experienced it. What the hell did you think of Bugsy Malone? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I'll tell you what. There's no <laughs> false advertising with Bugsy Malone. True. It is a gangster movie through and through, and it stars nothing but kids, so I can't complain that I was lied to. It's not an especially gripping movie, but I can't say I, I didn't enjoy watching... At least most of it. I don't know. I I, I came out feeling uh, I was I was seventy five percent there with a twenty five percent left over of eh, I don't need this part. <laughs> what about you? I'm somewhat on the same page. I mean, I'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around what this thing is exactly. Yeah. And the biggest question I have is how this would play to kids. Sure. Because you're sitting here thinking, well, you know, it's a kid's movie. I wish it were funnier. I'm sure it's a kid's movie. I wish the songs were a little more engaging. Mm-hmm. It's a kid's movie. I, I wish there was more story. It's a kid's movie. But then I was thinking, but but what kids have seen gangster films? Right. <laughs> you know, so the whole conceit of it. Yeah. I just wonder if it's like lost on them. You know, I, I don't know. Well, it, it sounds like it wasn't, at least in the UK. I mean, it definitely has a following. But it, I'm going to test it out because I'm going to test it out on okay. my kids. I know. I was thinking the same thing. Like, I wonder yeah, how I far they, my daughter would get into this. I, yeah. I don't think they have any frame of reference for gangsters. No. And, and they live in, in quite the golden age of children's entertainment where they get steady doses of children's entertainment that is actually funny and Mm -hmm. that talented people have worked on and like, you know what I mean? So, but at the same time, I do feel like they would get into the make-believe of the movie. Like, I feel like that is the, that's what they would be drawn to. And that, that worked on me, you know, I'm still like, I still feel like that's being critical. Like everything I just said, because I, I laughed out loud several times, just the idea of being 
you know, in this room with all these kids and, and you know, throwing whipped cream at one another and these cars that they pedal like bicycles. Yeah. And uh, it, it just seems like fun. And if I were a kid, maybe I would like this. You know, I was thinking about watching Gremlins as a kid mm-hmm. and specifically remembering, oh, there was that one shot where the Gremlin flashed somebody, like it opened his trench yeah. coat. And like, I just remember thinking that was the funniest thing on the face <laughs> of this planet as a kid. Yeah. And so it's like, well, yeah, your brain works a little bit differently in regards to humor at that age. I don't know if this would, it might work. It might absolutely still work. I mean, pie fights. Yeah. Like, but the reference of it is, yeah, yeah. that doesn't, it's not in their world. It's not in their no. stratosphere. Um, so I, I just wonder about that, but I, I think, oh man, there's one, major flaw of this movie and i hate to oh, say i wonder it. what you're gonna say because i have i have a pretty big question myself go ahead we talked about this oh. florence garland was not supposed to play blousy brown all right she was supposed to be a different role she got the part because the other actress grew <laughs> too tall to be considered worthy of standing next to scott Baio. Right. i just think she is miscast She is a weak point in this movie for me. Her storyline is a weak point in this movie for me. I just wanted like 30% more from that whole side of the movie. Yeah, well, but here's my thing. And I mean, hey, tell me I'm wrong. But this movie is called Bugsy Malone. Okay. Uh, well, but is it really about Bugsy? Yeah, yeah. That's another question. Like, I mean, okay. I mean, I mean, the, the song is about him and about how people just yeah. love him. For most of the movie, I, I didn't even understand why he was there. It just, he seemed like a separate story. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure that it really, in the end, I kind of feel like you could probably cut Bugsy Malone out of this movie and most, and it would still make, mostly make sense until the very end. I think you're right. Yeah. I think, you know, if they called the movie Fat Sam, it wouldn't quite have the same ring right. to it. <laughs> but you'd be like, yeah, that movie was definitely about Fat Sam. Let me ask you this, Craig. Is Bugsy Malone even a gangster? Yeah, I don't know. He didn't seem to be working for anybody until Fat Sam hired him. Well, it hired him as a driver. He did like two jobs right. and that was it, right? And then, yeah, then he was in charge of the, what, what was it? The sludge? The splurge? Splurge. The splurge war? Okay. Yeah. That is my second biggest point. And that is that this movie, the entire plot is basically one side of of this gang warfare saying, you know what? We just got to get Tommy guns. Yeah. You know, we got to get these splurge guns and then we'll be able to hold our own. That's it. I mean, that is literally what the movie's about, I think. Yeah, it is. Except when people are going on dates or training boxers. (laughs) Yes. But as far as anybody wanting anything, right. it's fat. That is definitely splurge guns to even the play. And I mean, that's with this other gangster. Yeah. Um, Dandy Dan. Yes. Dandy Dan. I mean, that all that stuff works so well for me. I don't care about Bugsy Malone and dating yeah. a girl like any of that. I honestly don't think Scott Bayo is delivering the goods acting wise. OK, see, oh, I'm going to disagree with you. All right. I liked his performance. I thought he was just fine. And like, he reminded me of just like kids I've known, like, you know, there's these like overconfident, like we'll say anything and like come up and talk to you as an adult. And like, what are you talking about, kid? Uh, he just, I don't know. Like it worked for me. It worked for me. He felt likable enough. He's got a bit of a smart mouth. He seems streetwise, even though he doesn't really prove it at, at any right. point in this film. Um, although, yeah, he's got his little tricks up his sleeve as far as uh, when it comes to uh, skipping out on the tab for a banana split 
or eight banana splits or however many they had. But I didn't mind them, Greg. I didn't mind them. Well, I guess my thing is, like, Fat Sam or Jodie Foster. What was her character's name? I can't remember. Tallulah. Tallulah or Fat Sam. Both of them, I feel like you could put the camera on them in a scene and you could pretty much leave it there and, and mm-hmm. let them act and you probably won't get a lot of false moments. Scott Bayo, I just felt, and maybe I'm just feeling the, the editor's twitch, it just felt like you'd get a line out of him, cut away. Go back, get a line out of him, cut away. Sure. If you're on him when he's not talking, like he's not listening. And I guess that's what was kind of driving me crazy. Like it just, and I mean, I like that because that is kind of a part of watching some children's performances. Like there's a part of that that I, that I like, and it's kind of funny to me, but it's not, I, I can't say that it's a good, it's a good performance. I guess that's what <laughs> well, I'm saying. Well, see, what I was bothered by was the opposite side of that, because usually when they're cutting away from anything he's saying, it's to Florence Garland as Blousy, and she's sitting there mouth breathing throughout the entire movie. <laughs> oh man! I'm sorry. It's I'm right. sorry, Florence. I know you didn't act in anything else. That's really mean. But I, I blame I blame the editors and directors. Somebody should have just told you, just you know, let's, let's close the mouth. Yeah. And she didn't like Scott Bayo, as we know. So no, yeah, and I mean, she was uh, uncomfortable. I don't blame her. Parts of that worked because in parts of the movie she didn't like him. And I thought, oh, this is true. This is uh, she's feeling. I mean, for someone who didn't like him, I think I think she did all right for that performance. Fair enough. I think it's a little weird to even introduce a love story with kids this age <laughs> and talking about how yes. you're gonna fly him off to Hollywood. Like I don't, yeah. Like we could have left that alone. Really, honestly, like you could have just cut all of that out. Just have it be about the splurge war. Which reminds me, man, was it the very was it the very first scene? Did the very first scene happen in the woods? No. Okay. All I remember is when we cut to the woods, I was like, man, that's some Miller's Crossing stuff right there. Oh, I thought of Miller's Crossing throughout this scene, mostly because of the Fat Sam character, John Cassisi, is like John Polito Jr. here. um, The actor who's like sick of getting a hi-hat and give the kid a penny, that guy from seen Miller's Crossing. They they absolutely... could have made a movie where those two guys work together and uh, you would believe it as far as the lineage is concerned yeah. because yeah but yeah that that wood scene is very reminiscent of, of miller's crossing which obviously came after this so maybe the coen brothers were big bugsy malone fans who knows probably or it's just those are the only woods near new york city right. so that's where they <laughs> <laughs> that's the film commission know. takes everybody there. Well, I wanted to ask you this when you were talking about the love story. Were there any moments with Jodie's Foster's character where you felt at all uncomfortable with the sexuality of her? Okay. Yeah. Let's let's talk about that then. Because if you are, in fact, going to show this to your children, I, you know, I don't mean to be a prude or anything, but it did cross my mind. You know, she is essentially the dame of Fat Sam, who is the lead gangster of this mob that we're following for the most part. He owns a speakeasy. She is the main attraction of the uh, nightly performances. Her name is Tallulah. She dresses the part. There's a moment where she sings a song about Tallulah being the one who'll take care of you. She's working the gentleman in the crowd. She said something about her training having happened in North Carolina. Which yeah, was, so did mine, I don't, but I don't know what that means. Yeah, I know, but uh, I'll give Paul Williams credit for the clever line that he wrote for rhyming that with something else that I can't even think of right now. But uh, 
how did that stuff make you feel a little bit? Again, again, I just question why, why have any of this yeah. as a part of it? Like, I mean, that, that song, just, just that song alone, like, what are you talking? Like, why, why wasn't this, I don't know, kidified a little bit more? Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, there's even, there's, there's even like jealousy between I think Tallulah and Blousey, yeah. you know? And I'm just like, Oh God, you're like 10 years old. My name is Tallulah, and soon I'll be gone. An open invitation is the road I'll travel on. I'll never say goodbye because the words upset me. You may forgive my going. No, no, no. But you won't forgive me. Lonely. You don't have to be lonely. Come and see Tallulah. We can chase your troubles away. Yeah, what are you talking about? I think we know what they're talking yeah. about. And it is, uh, I'm saying, inappropriate for G-rated it feels. It feels very inappropriate. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think a kid would be able to come to an easy answer about what that means. Right. And it's disappointing in the sense that the first musical number we get at the speakeasy is about the speakeasy. Like right. the song is literally like fat Sam's fat Sam's. And like, I'm just totally on board. Sure. I'm like thinking the whole time. I'm like, you know, okay. Yeah. These kids are wearing, they're wearing pretty short shorts here. Right. Like, you know, I'm not trying to like say that that's a, they don't have the right to do that. But, you know, they're, they're dancers. They're nightclub dancers, essentially. Right. These, like, 12- and 13-year-old girls. It's a little weird. But all the kids, all the audience is kids. Mm-hmm. And it works. And I'm thinking, man, I'm not saying my kid needs a speakeasy. But how awesome would it be if, like, there was just a place like this where you could just let your kids go and there's no adults whatsoever and it's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not going to turn into Lord of the Flies. So I was with that. And then it's like, yeah, okay. We could have left it at that. Like, We didn't need another nightclub performance necessarily. Or if we had one, just do something in that vein, right? You know, make it about eating custard pies or something, you know, the Charleston or dance, you know, make it about a dance. Um, Making it about Tallulah, you know, being the one who will take care of you. It's a little iffy. And I also was thinking, like, poor Jodie Foster, in the same year, she's got Taxi Driver, and you know where she basically plays a prostitute, right? right? And this, and <laughs> that's a fine way to start your career as a young woman, yeah. um, in Hollywood. Yeah. Well, and I'll say too, song-wise, I felt like most of the songs really outstayed their welcome for me. A little bit. Some of them were better than others, but even Fat Sam's song, it kind of felt like we could have stopped this a couple verses ago. Yeah. And I would be perfectly happy. Like it's, it seemed like they were, maybe they're trying to get the, the most mileage out of those songs that they possibly could. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And maybe pad the running time yeah. a little bit. Because, oh man, that was rough. You know, we mentioned in the tee up that there maybe perhaps was some miscommunication between Paul Williams and director Alan Parker about the decision to have adults record the voices during the songs. I thought it was funny at times. And that first song, I think really is that Fat Sam song, the speakeasy song. Yeah. And that's kicked off by Razamataz, Michael Jackson, who's the piano. He's the band leader, basically. Right. And when he starts singing and you hear an adult voice come out, it's like, yeah, okay, this is kind of funny. And then the girls kick in and like, yeah, this is, this is funny. And that works okay for me. Mm-hmm. I think the very next song we had was sung by the character Fizzy, played by Alvin Jenkins. Right. Fizzy basically hangs around this club and works as like the guy mopping the floors. But he wants to be a tap dancer. Mm-hmm. And when this kid opens his mouth and sings this song about, you know, I was just born for dancing, 
it's not a show number. He does it by himself. And then a girl comes on and dances. Right. And it was just like, this isn't as fun. <laughs> this is not working as well no. as when it was like a group environment and an entire band. It's just this one kid and he's got this deep baritone voice. Yeah. And oh man, like he's, I mean, I feel like barely lip syncing, right? Right. I mean, barely. And there's a couple moments, well, I'd say multiple moments throughout this movie where, I mean, that I think is the bigger issue is that they don't sell the performance of the song at all no. as child actors because it's tough to do. Yeah. yeah. But also, Craig, he's singing about tap dancing. He was born in tap dance. He never tap dances in the entire movie, nope. right? I thought. Show him tap dancing the song, for God's yeah. sake. Yeah. For the love of God, I was positive. <laughs> That was going to pay off at the very end. He's holding the tap shoes in his hand longingly. Yeah. And it's like, that's all. And, I mean, they bring him back two, three times they do that bit. Yeah. Mr. Fat Sam, let me know. Tomorrow, I promise. You're like, oh, so this is what's going to like solve the problem in the movie or something. <laughs> but no, yes. it's just a dead end. The mixed bag, those songs and the performances of them. It is. And I, re- I, I kind of felt like in general that they were kind of trying to match the voice to the actor not so much in the choice of fizzy there's an age difference yeah. for sure but like but like scott bayos scott bayos was like it, it felt kind of matchy like my thing was yeah. i just wish it was less matchy especially with the the female singers i felt like those those voices were generally like pushed into a higher octave a uh, higher you yeah. know range just so you know it would kind of sound like a kid or something i was like oh i wish you wouldn't do that like if you're going to have it be adults, like let's just let it be adults. Uh, that's why actually I like the feeling of Fizzy's song, but I mean, that, totally. rest of that, you're totally right. And again, it just goes on for so long and he just sings mm-hmm. about it. And again, you could cut that from the movie. Never miss it. That is not imperative to the plot whatsoever. No. <laughs> whatsoever. It's yeah. not the only song. I mean, really, I mean, what is the point of Tallulah's song, really? That I just buy as like, well, that was the evening's entertainment. Sure. Uh, but as plot-wise, yeah, no, nothing. You don't... N- well, I mean, makes... maybe it's tied into the fact that she seems loyal to no one necessarily. I guess, but I mean... But that's also a questionable decision, applying that to a 12-year-old actress. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk plot a little bit, okay? Plot it out. Let's plot it out. Um, yeah, so this movie, we do open, I remember, you know, you got your city at night, New York, and there's cobblestone bricks. Uh, we get a little bit of voiceover from Fat Sam, which I like. So someone once said if it was raining brains, Roxy Robinson wouldn't even get wet. Right. Who's Roxy Robinson? It it does, yeah. doesn't matter. I think he gets splurged yeah. in the opening there. You're chasing this kid down a, uh, an alleyway. I immediately liked it. They have like a woman... Uh, you know, in the apartment upstairs, it throws her window open and is yelling at this guy running by in the middle of the night in Italian. And of course, it's a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's like a group of kids that show up and they pull their Tommy guns and then they just pelt him with whipped cream. Uh, we cut to the uh, the title song. Well, and I'm all on board here, right? I, well, I want to pause you for a second because there was a touch I really liked and they did it several times throughout the movie is in that bit, like the guys start firing shots and as soon as the kid gets hit in the face, it's a freeze frame. Yeah. And then, yeah, you, then you have the goons, like, running away. And, yeah, I, I love the way all of that was shot. Like, it it, it felt like a gangster movie. Yeah. It felt like an and actual And there was movie. also a line I liked where Fat Sam said, Roxy could smell trouble like other people smell gas. Yeah. I thought, well, this is 
if that's our level of humor, and yeah, maybe he's talking about natural gas. Either right. way, it works. Uh, I'm like, I'm on board. Let's do this. Yeah. And then we're in the speakeasy, you know, and we find out that, yeah, I'm Fat Sam, and this is my speakeasy. Yeah, he's, you know, he rules with a, a very loud voice, if not an iron hand. He's got a group of hoodlums that kind of work for him. I liked that group fine enough. You know, I think that the centerpiece of the group was a kid named Knuckles, played by, where is he here? Sheridan Earl Russell. Oh. Why do they call him Knuckles, Craig? Because he cracks his knuckles constantly. Constantly, even though Fat Sam is yelling at him to stop Can't doing stand that. stand it. I really did like John Cassisi's performance as Fat Sam. I gotta say, like he, I he did, too. did not. He was one hundred percent on board of all of this. And I think it's probably the most demanding performance, like role, yeah, in the movie. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I would say absolutely. There's a moment where Dandy Dan's name gets mentioned in the office at the speakeasy as Fat Sam is talking with his his hoods, mm-hmm. and uh, Fat Sam falls right out of his chair just at the mere mention of it. We get our big song and dance number, and then that gets interrupted by a group of thugs that roll in with the Tommy guns, and I think they splurge the place a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And that sort of, and I want to italicize the word sort of, (laughs) sets up our central conflict in this movie, and that is absolutely ripped from the pages of Every gangster movie made from that century, or at least that decade anyway. Mm-hmm. You got Fat Sam's group of mobsters, and you got Danny Dan's group of mobsters, and they don't like each other. There's nothing really essential that they're fighting over, per se. It's not really about the booze, or the speakeasy, or drugs, or anything like that, obviously. It is Danny Dan just trying to take over everything that Fat Sam owns i guess and operates yeah and fat sam clearly wants to hang on to what he's got but he's outgunned literally and uh as we mentioned before he wants to get the gat i don't really recall his plan for no (laughs) achieving that necessarily at least not until the end yeah i was gonna ask and i know this ruins some of the fun and and i kind of don't want to discuss this but i feel it, it bears discussing when you get splurged are you dead? I am not positive because there's a scene later in the movie at Danny Dan's where he calls in his own hoods and centers one of them, singles him out for having dropped his splurge gun at the scene of a previous crime and pies him in the face. Right. And we never see him again in the movie. So I felt to me like getting pied was death. Yeah. But not yeah, maybe not necessarily because Knuckles meets his demise when they try to make their own splurge gun (laughs) and it goes horribly awry and he is completely covered in custard and uh, does not live to tell the tale. I mean, that's really the thing. Like anyone who, anyone who gets splurged, that's it for them in the movie. Like no one got splurged and came back. I guess. Yeah. But then, but then does the ending. Yeah. Well, maybe, you know what? Maybe it's more like you got to think about the movie. Like it's a game of tag and you get splurged and then you got to sit out. Yeah. That's a good reference for sure. Maybe that's okay. That's better. I feel better now. So that that's movie A, right? Uh, movie B is actually Bugsy Malone's story, and Bugsy Malone comes in the speakeasy during the, our opening speakeasy scene. He's ordering a drink from the bartender. Says something about the bartender, and the guy says, "You got too much mouth, Mac." Bugsy Malone says, "So tell my dentist." Hmm. No, I don't know if that's a put down or not, but uh, that's the kind of lines that that we get asked about, right? right? You got to remember that 
everyone loves Bugsy Malone. That's what the song tells us. He interacts with Blousey Brown, played by Florence Garland, as you mentioned. Uh, He's asking her what her name is. She says, Brown. It sounds like a loaf of bread. What's your first name? She says, Blousey. It sounds like a stale loaf of bread. Again, I like this performance, but uh, I mean, this is what they're talking about. Like for kids, I can think like, yeah, that's kind of fun. But it is sort of like the call and response of that noir dialogue, a little bit at least, like early on here. He sort of immediately lashes onto her. You know, she's put off because she's come there for an audition as a singer and been told by Fat Sam, come back tomorrow. And she feels like that's all she's been hearing. So she's come to the city, come back tomorrow, come back tomorrow, come back tomorrow. When's she going to get her chance? What she'd really like to do is go to Hollywood and become an actress. Mm-hmm. Well, they leave. Trump supporter Scott Baio is basically just following her and hounding her, trying to carry her bag for her, wants to take her out, wants to share a cab, which I thought was kind of funny. He lets it be known that, no, he wasn't intending to, to split the fare with her. He was just intending for her to pay for it. I believe it's the same night that they end up at the ice cream parlor. Yeah. I kind of like that scene a little bit. I don't remember for the life of me what they talked about. I think it was just more about her wanting to be an actress or whatever. It's clear that they've ordered a lot of ice cream. And again, this is like wish fulfillment of this premise that I did like was, yeah, if you're a kid in a world that's only kids and you get to act as adults, like what would you do? Yeah. I would absolutely be just buying all the candy and ice cream that I wanted, right? Absolutely. Problem is he's got no money. Just like a kid. When he goes up to pay for it uh, with the clerk, uh, this woman who's a good bit taller than him and definitely older than him, before he does so, he slips into the phone booth that is inside uh, this parlor. And uh, I don't remember. I think he calls the operator. He calls someone and says, call me back in a minute, right, at this number. And so then he walks over to the counter and he's going to get the bill. And she says, well, you know, yeah. you got like four ice cream sundaes and two things and three other things. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of dessert being had that evening. Uh, here's the total. And he says, OK. And then the phone rings. and She's like, well, I have to go take this phone. She walks into the phone booth. He uh, runs over, takes the broom handle through the uh, door handles of the phone booth, trapping her in there. I just assume that she died in that phone booth. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the more tragic stories in the movie. Uh, but then, I mean, he's out of there. He and Blousey are out of there, didn't pay for the bill. She doesn't seem entirely put off by that, I might add. Mm-hmm. But they spend the rest of the movie in <sighs> dating land, I guess. I mean, yeah. there's moments where he shows up for, you know, he's there when she's trying to audition for this play, gets up there to do her part, and one, yeah. uh, gets interrupted by the actress who originally was supposed to be the role and she's this very annoying thing there is a montage where they go to the park and get in a rowboat if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. the climax of this story i suppose and it's one i had a problem with craig blousey shows up mid-conversation when scott bayo and jody foster are talking jody foster's kind of being extremely flirtatious with bugsy malone i don't really know why Kisses him on the forehead and like purposely does this in front of Blousey to make her jealous. Ralph Blousey gets pissed off. It seems like their relationship is over. Bugsy gets a job for Fat Sam driving and gets 200 bucks. He calls her and says, you know, I got $200. We can do this. We can go to Hollywood. It seemed like she turned her opinion of him on a dime, right? Pretty much, yeah. Because he's got $200. Yeah. Is that the message this movie? I mean, it seems like, I mean, it seems, it seems fair enough 
you know, she's going to do that and then he's going to stand her up pretty much. Wait a second. Yeah, now I'm, I can't remember how their story ended. I can tell you how it ends. I mean, we'll get to the end for okay, too long, yeah, yeah, but yeah, we'll uh, get there. it's a happy ending, Craig. It's, it's G-rated gangster musical. Well, of I mean, course it's, it's not... somewhat happy, but I mean, he she she agrees to go, you know, because he's got money and then he, he ends up sort of standing her up and we get another song out of yeah. that one. Yeah, she sings a song. And uh, yeah. Well, we might as well get to it. He stands her up because he's got $200 in his pocket, but that evening he gets jumped by some more of Dandy Dan's hoods. Or I, They may have been an independently working group of hoods. I wasn't sure. They, they got a song in the yeah. movie about... They seemed a little uh, more ragamuffin Bowery boys. I think so, but it was a little confusing just because they're there for that song and then yeah. not there. He gets jumped by these guys. You know, He's screaming for help. He's getting beaten up. He's getting robbed of his money. This guy named Leroy comes and saves him off the street. Leroy's a fighter. So yep. that takes us into the boxing ring for another song because prior to working for Fat Sam, Bugsy Malone trained fighters. He was a manager, you know. He can spot talent a mile away when it comes to boxers, right? Now, did we learn that at the beginning of the movie? Yeah, it's in the conversation between him and Blousey, I believe, if oh, I'm not okay. mistaken. I don't fault you for missing it necessarily. It was there. Okay. And I wondered how the hell is this going to be pertinent or come back into it. But And this is how it is, yeah. But this is an hour into the hour and a half movie. Probably. But this story is going to start, yeah. And so he's suddenly all interested in training Leroy and takes him to the gym and uh, says, hey, this, this guy's natural. Like, he's a heavyweight champion for sure. We get our song where the other boxers there at the ring are, like, uh, not convinced that Leroy's got the goods. Uh, we get one sparring session where Leroy knocks a guy out cold, which I did laugh at that. That was kind of funny. Yeah. And then that concludes our boxing storyline. Yep. <laughs> Completely. But it does bring Leroy into the fold. I liked Leroy. He's a good presence, played sure. by Paul Murphy. But this is all culminating to our big meeting in the woods between Danny Dan and Fat Sam. He's hired Bugsy to drive him there. And uh, they've hired a hitman from Chicago named, you remember his name, Greg? I don't. Looney Bagonzi. I wrote it down. <laughs> Looney Bagonzi. <laughs> and uh, he lives up to his namesake, I think. So uh, the plan is to go in the woods with uh, Dandy Dan for basically a truce. But they're going to hide Looney Bagonzi in the car and he'll pop up and uh, blow this guy away with these two pies that he's got, which had green custard. I guess they're special. But uh, when the moment arrives, Looney freezes because he, he does seem like he's not all there. Yeah. Danny Dan calls his hoods who have been hiding in the woods and we get our, our classic showdown. There's a bit of a car chase in these cars that are uh, built around the frames of bicycles. Pretty great. I did like that. I mean, that was all fun. Danny Dan's guys end up in the lake, though, because uh, the driver of his car lost control mm. and they all fell in the water. And Fat Sam and Bugsy Malone get away scot-free. But there's still the issue of the splurge guns. Mm-hmm. This is all building up to the fact that Fat Sam gets a hot tip that the splurge guns are being assembled and brought in to a Chinese laundromat. Yeah. I don't know why. Nope. <laughs> they got some Asian kids in there at least. Uh, sure, I'll say yeah. that. Mixed it up a little bit. In the back of this, you know, you got these crates full of these Tommy guns. There's a weird diversion 
to the soup kitchen, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, well, yeah. Well, yeah, because they go out, they go out to the warehouse where they find where the warehouse is, but it's it's completely uh, guarded by guys in, in catcher outfits carrying yes. baseball bats. <laughs> Which I did like. That yeah. was kind of funny. And then they're like, oh, we need an army or something like that. And then they go to the nearby soup kitchen where a song is already underway. It is underway. These poor downtrodden, downtrodden gentlemen are there singing. But Muxy goes in and offers them employment. And then they deceive the guards. And this is where we met Babyface, by the way, this Dexter Fletcher right. character, director of Bohemian Crapsody. They do the classic sequence where you got 12 kids in a line and Bugsy says, get the bat, pass it down. And they pass it down. They literally go from person to person all the way down to Babyface. I will say this, Craig, without knowing that that was Dexter Fletcher or anything about Dexter Fletcher, I noted that scene. I was like, this Babyface kid, his line deliveries are great. Like he needed he a bigger role in this. And he was good. Yeah. He's got like maybe four lines through. in this thing. His looks. He, he was perfect. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's the smallest kid in that line, yeah. but he, <laughs> and he's the one that's sent in first. He draws the attention of these guards. They trap them then in the, uh, this little room. Yeah. And then they go and they get the splurge guns out of the crates. I liked that Leroy uh, did an impression of Tallulah by placing the straw padding in the crates over his head like it was Tallulah's hair. Yes. That made me laugh. I'm not even sure Leroy had been in the speakeasy at that point, so I don't even know how he knew Tallulah. Maybe I'm just going to assume that that plot made sense. But this stages our, uh, or sets us up for our final showdown. They bring all the soup kitchen guys back to Fat Sam's. They dress them up in tuxedos. They want a normal night, as normal as possible. Make it look legit. They know Dandy Dan's going to attack. And when they do, they got the surprise of a lifetime for them, Craig. They surely do. Razzmatazz starts the song. It all goes according to plan. The guys come in, and we get our uh, our final pie showdown that we've been waiting for here, man. Uh, this is where all those thousand gallons of whipped cream and custard went. It looked fun as hell. I'm not going to lie. Absolutely. Everybody got covered, except for two I'll note in a second. Jodie Foster gets to say the line after she gets splurged. So this is show business, huh? Eh? <laughs> It felt like an outtake to me. I mean, there was a second where I was, it looked like she cracked a smile. I don't know. I'm going to assume that that was a script line. Right. But uh, it's Bedlam. And then Michael Jackson, Craig. You talked about him. Razzmatazz at the piano starts playing, and people stop. They turn. They listen. He's singing a song about how we could have been anything we wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And finally, we have peace among the warring gang tribes. Yeah. We've lost some good people. Man. Roxy Robinson. Knuckles didn't make it. No. There was that weird kid with glasses from Dandy Dan's gang. Yeah, he didn't make it. Snake Eyes, I think, was his name. Yeah. Now they're all happy together. They can sing their song. Bugsy and, and uh, Blousy can uh, trot out that door hand in hand, get in the car, and head to Hollywood. By the way, no whipped cream on them at all. No. I say that's a mistake. I say it's a mistake, Craig, from a story standpoint, from your title as Bugsy Malone. This is a climactic moment of your movie. Sure. We've been waiting for this. It got to get whipped cream on them. How do you not put, how do you not splurge those two? I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I feel like uh, it's more of a message about, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, you're not going to say the, word, the L word, are you? You're going to say love? 
They're in love. No, they're not. <laughs> they're not in love. Oh, uh, yeah, I would love. argue that that has been proven in the, anywhere in this movie. All right. <laughs> no, it's a way of looking as if they're leaving for their honeymoon. They got to get covered in rice. They had no rice on them. They had no, no. whipped cream. I say missed opportunity, Alan Parker. But also, yeah, I mean, uh, that relationship doesn't have a chance in hell. And uh, well, that was <laughs> yeah. That's what I wrote down. I was like, they left hand in hand for Hollywood for her to become a failed actress. And, <laughs> right. Uh, that's the sequel, right? You know, I would kind of love to see that sequel. I would love to see gangsters in Hollywood, everybody's kids. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, Except you want to be in the pitches, R. eh? Yeah. yeah. You can do. Chaplin, like a kid's version of Chaplin, of Buster Keaton. Yeah. Uh, it would be fun. It would be. Maybe it's not too late to revisit this. No. I don't think that 40 years is too late at all. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think this movie would get made today? Because when's the last time you saw a kid's movie that was dominated by just child actors? Well, that's a good question. No parents in this thing whatsoever, right? Because they're not playing children, essentially. They're just playing adults. Yeah. I mean, live action kids movie with just kids i don't know i think about the sandlot uh that was a while ago were there parents in that yeah i mean even like stranger things this cultural phenomenon which you say that people are going to immediately think kids there's an absurd amount of plot that is centered around the adult characters in that show yeah yeah it's it's not just a kid show it definitely focuses on kids but what about uh it the uh stephen king thing from no there's tons of parents in that were there okay i don't remember as much but uh yeah yeah. but i don't think I, i don't think anything quite tops this i mean yeah you know whatever i mean there are plenty of movies that have like a group of best friends who go do something but like this is Every character in the movie is a kid. And it is a risk. I mean, I get it from a studio standpoint that you don't have a bankable actor of any sorts when you just have child actors. Right. You know, Jodie Foster was not the Jodie Foster that she is today, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, in 1976. Scott Baio, certainly. So I do have to, all nitpicks aside, kind of marvel at this thing. And and that was, uh, you know, sort of just left with this feeling like, I can't believe this exists. It doesn't quite work in so many ways. And yet it is fun. I mean, it's enjoyable. And uh, there's some good laughs. And it feels like an idea that it shouldn't be the only case example of its kind, right? It does seem that way, yeah. So until you make your version... Mm-hmm. It's coming. <laughs> maybe it will remain the only case example. Maybe so. Or maybe, uh, as soon as we're done with this episode, we'll remember ten examples <laughs> of movies that only starred kids. But yeah, I don't know. We'll I would see. love for people, yeah, let us know if there's anything that you can think of. Yeah, because I'm drawing blanks for sure. Yeah, me too. Craig, anything we didn't talk about that you want to mention with Bugsy Moore? Any favorite gags? I mean, again, I really liked the way they handled people getting shot. I, I, yeah. I, I kind of appreciated the how over the top it was where they had police come out to the woods to examine the area where there was the uh, sabotage in the woods, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they bring some stuff out to get a tire track, like plaster of Paris type stuff. Yeah, and, and apparently <laughs> yeah. they dump it all over their police chief, and then the next time you see him, he's just totally encased and stuff. Again, like, it doesn't matter at all. Like, doesn't matter at all. 
Couldn't matter less any of that. Like the police, I almost feel like that was the first and last time we saw any police in the entire movie. They had like one scene earlier than that where it was like reporters were asking, do you have any leads on the gang warfare? Like, where oh, the time, right. you know, where are these splurge guns are coming from? Uh, that, and that was it. Right. I liked, what about the United Nations telephone bank moment that oh, to man. me. <laughs> At the <laughs> end? Uh, well, they did it twice. Yeah. Uh, it felt straight out of like a Wes Anderson movie. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the one of the first moments of the splurge guns showing like the shootout happening at the speakeasy. You get these like tracking shot. I think it's all one take of various kids in telephone booths. And they're all different nationalities, like basically explaining like what's gone down at the speakeasy. And, you know, there's a kid from Australia and there's a kid from China and there's, you know, the chef is from uh, Japan. And then it ends with a British guy. (laughs) uh, Then they did that again. And they they did it at the end. And that's what made me laugh when they did it at the end during the fight. And like the people in the phone booth were getting creamed with pies and stuff. Oh, so good. I also thought the Dandy Dan character, he was great. I mean, I thought that kid did a fantastic job. Martin Lev, he kind of reminded me of, um, is it David Strathairn in uh, L.A. Confidential? A little bit. (laughs) Pencil thin mustache. He's living the high life. Like when we cut to his house, he's on a horse. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's got a British servant who comes out and says, phone call, sir. You know, and he's like, he has to go inside or something. And his, you know, trophy wife says, don't you want to stay and play? And he's like, not today, darling, not today. I mean, it was yeah. it was pitch perfect, I thought. Okay, let's say, do you recommend this movie to adults? Criterion Channel, they can go watch it right now. Is it worth their time? I mean, maybe if you, maybe if you grew up, I don't know, if you're, if you're of the age where you would have watched something like this when you were a kid, it was kind mm-hmm. of fun to watch something that felt like it was made you know in the late 70s early 80s i don't know i don't i don't i don't feel that strongly about it i guess like it is definitely something to see if you're if you're a movie fan yeah you should definitely check it out it's it's definitely a one of a kind type of movie but um I don't know. I I don't know if I would uh, recommend it to just just anybody. What about you? I'm kind of the same. I feel like this is a movie that the skip button could be your friend. Like mm-hmm. you, I think you, there's just moments that you can breeze through and pass by, and you know just watch the fun parts and the the comedy parts and the bits and the cars and the you know the set pieces like that kind of stuff. It's sort of all you need. I would love to see, I think what would be more fascinating is to see a making of of this thing, sure. a documentary, retrospective or not. Like that would be incredible. Yeah. I have to imagine there's so many more stories about the making of this thing. And uh, man, I would love to have been there because it seems like it just would have been a blast. I mean, yeah. you know, it would have been, like you said, wrangling the kids, a little difficult. Sure. I'm sure there's some moments, but it, it looked like they had fun that came through on the screen. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's any way they couldn't have had fun doing that. Yeah, and then the real test will be, yeah, what what on earth would kids of this generation, current generation, think of this thing yeah. with no frame of reference probably to any sort of noir gangster film? So, uh, yeah, I'll be curious. If anybody's shown their kids this, please let us know. Yeah. And uh, I'll follow up with you, Craig, if you end we'll up. We'll give it a shot. 
I'll see how much they'll get through. Yeah. All right, Craig. Again, it's streaming on the Criterion channel right now. It is hard to find elsewhere, but I noticed it was for rent, I believe, at the iTunes movie store and perhaps Vudu, if not Amazon. So, yeah, if you're feeling adventurous, go check it out. Maybe it's popping up on reruns on cable here and there. Come back next time. Talking a movie called Dogfight. And that's all that's all I'm gonna say about it. Yeah, I think it'll be good. Yeah. Any last words, Craig? Yeah, well, you know, Sean, he can charm you with a smile and a style all his own. Everybody loves that man. Bugsy Malone. Says you, sir. Says you. Maybe so. All right, y'all. Bye. bye.